0: So we are in 1 Kings 19, verse 19. 1 Kings 19, verse 19. Daniel and Mary, can you move up one row? Just want to try to discourage anyone from being in the back half. (laughs) Thank you. I know you may be needed, you may be called upon um, with your kids, but thank you. Okay, so last week we left off with one of the most dramatic stories in the Bible, where Elijah calls fire from heaven, and the fire comes down and consumes the uh, the fire comes down and consumes the um, the sacrifice that uh, Elijah put. Uh, put together, and this is after 450 prophets of Baal were uh, put there offering, and there was kind of a showdown between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal, and they cried all day to to their gods, and they cut themselves, they uh, just made a huge, huge scene, and nothing worked. Then Elijah got there, and he made his sacrifice. And lest anyone think it was spontaneous combustion or something like that, he poured water on the uh, sacrifice. I think multiple times, and uh, the the fire uh, came down, consumed the sacrifice. Then the 450 prophets of Baal were killed. Elijah, um, Jezebel gets wind of it. She. Uh, comes and tries to kill Elijah. Uh, He runs away, uh, goes into a deep, deep depression, Um, but the Lord sends him back to do his thing. And so uh, he goes back into ministry, which is uh, there are some times that the Lord tells us, look, you need a break from ministry, uh, but most of the time it's just Satan discouraging us, uh, trying to get us to uh, uh, lock ourselves up in a cave or go into a shell made by ourselves. And the Lord came in so gently. We saw so incredibly gently. But at the end, there was a firm word, go back. (laughs) And so he does. And so that's where we pick up in verse 19 of 1 Kings 19, so he departed from there, found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he was with the 12th. So apparently there's 11 servants. That was, he he was, came from a wealthy family with the other 11. And then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, and he left, that is Elisha, now my wife, Constantly on my case for pronouncing Elijah, Elisha, and she has told me, really, literally for decades, it's not Elijah, it's Elisha. There's an Elijah and Elisha. So it it, 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 it says that um, he Elisha left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, "Please let me kiss my father, and my mother." and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So one of the things when uh, Elijah was pouting in the cave uh, that the Lord had told him to do, among other things, was to anoint his successor. Uh, And now Elijah, by no means, is going to go off the scene. He's going to be doing a bunch of stuff. But uh, uh, this is the first thing that he does. I I think Elijah is a very comical guy. At the end of verse 19, it says he passed by him, threw his mantle on him. The mantle was some kind of cloak of authority, meaning it was um, almost like you see some priests and things like that who they uh, or people who have a garb of authority on them. Uh, Still to this day, there is no priesthood anymore. anymore, There shouldn't be. Jesus is now our high priest. But some insist on, uh, even in the Christian faith, insist on calling themselves priests. But um, they have a mantle of authority. And so this is the same thing. He had some kind of, of garb. So he just throws it on Elisha and just keeps on walking. You know, he just keeps on walking away. It's like okay, you're the you're taking my place, and um, he, he he starts going away. And then in verse twenty, it's like what, what, what's I, Elisha knew what had happened. So apparently, the Lord had been preparing this man's heart, and he runs after him. He goes, "Wait a second, let me say goodbye to kiss my father and mother um, g- goodbye." And and Elijah says to him. Go back! What have I done to you? Am I telling you you can't do that? You're you're a free man. Do what you want. (laughs) And so um, he goes back and um, has uh, uh, actually has has a goodbye. Throws a goodbye dinner for for himself, Uh, and uh, and then we'll see. He's going and then he's going to go and follow Elijah. Now, some people uh, they do ask me that. they they will read this story and it's in Luke eight or Luke nine, um, which is uh, one of my wedding one of my wedding uh, sermons where Jesus uh, a man comes to him, Jesus says to a man, "I'll follow me." And the man says back, uh, "Well, let me first go bury my father." And Jesus said, "Let the dead bury the dead. You, um, you know, you go proclaim the kingdom of God." And and you know how do you make these consistent? it's all in the heart <laughs> it, it, it really is, and uh, uh in the case of um, in that case in Jesus I believe that's luke eight or it's luke nine um, what was what was really going on there was the man's he, he he was just being held back because uh something to do with his family. Let me go bury my father. His father may or may not have just died. Some people think um, he had not just died. uh, That wasn't, but that was an expression in the Middle East. Um, Others, um, I would be one, say he had died. But in in this particular instance, the Lord just spoke to him. He's not creating a law. uh, He's not creating a law at all that no one can go to their father's burial. But at that moment. Jesus was calling him there. Whereas here, Elisha was just honoring, the Bible says, honor your father and mother. It's a general rule. You want to go to your parents' funeral because there's one of those commandments that's really important. And it's the only one with a promise. (laughs) So you better honor honor your father and mother. That things may go well with you in the land, it says in that commandment. And so uh, unless you're getting a real specific word from the Lord... You need to honor your father or mother in that way. So anyway, Elisha uh, has a goodbye dinner for himself. He, he I, I love the fact that, number one, he's called and he's just a worker. He's not in a, a Bible school or a seminary or there's a school of the prophets at this time. He's just a guy who is working with his hands that the Lord had been preparing. Um, but then I just love the way that he uses the oxen's equipment, it's a way of his saying that's it. For the rest of my life, I'm, I'm going to be serving the Lord in a new way. Your job, by the way, is a full-time ministry. It is. Don't think uh, what I do is any more spiritual than what you do. Your work is a full-time ministry. But from time to time, the Lord will call someone uh, to be a church worker or something like that. And that's essentially what's going on. He's he 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 understands the temptation of maybe going back to his work, so he just burns his instruments. He burns them, and then he follows um, Elijah. Did I get that right? Elijah. All right. First uh, Kings chapter twenty. Now Ben-Hadad, By the way, this is another one of those chapters uh, that you read. If you read it when you read it for the first time, it's like. What in the world is this? So hope you're ready for this chapter. There's a there's a number of them in first and second kings. Now Ben Hadab the king of Syria gathered all his forces together. Thirty-two kings were with him with horses and chariots, and he went up and besieged Samaria and made war against it. And so uh, Samaria kind of uh, is uh, the northern kingdom, the remember. It's the northern ten tribes. Verse 2, Then he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your loveliest wives and children are mine. Meaning when he comes in and he, what he is saying is when I, over, when I come in and defeat you in battle, I'm taking your loveliest wives, and I'm going to make your wives and children, um, uh, rather your children, slaves. And the king of Israel, this is Ahab, answered and said, My lord, O king, just as you say, I and all that I have are yours. This is Ahab, who um, every once in a while will see Ahab do um, uh, something admirable. We sort of, kind of, will later in this chapter, but here he, he basically doesn't have a spine. I'd rather have, um, I'd rather uh, to say to spare my life. I'd rather just give up the, um, give up my wives and my children. I don't want to die. So um, he was more or less a coward, but every once in a while um, he comes through. We'll see that later on in the chapter. So he just wants his life here. Verse 5 then messengers came back and said, So Ben Hadad, this king of Syria, uh, heard what um, um, heard what uh, Ahab had answered. And so a new message is sent back to Ahab. He's good there. That the king wants more. Thus speaks Ben Hadad. Indeed, I, I, indeed, I have sent to you, saying, "You shall deliver me to your, uh, deliver me your silver and gold, your wives and your children." But I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they shall search your house and the house of your servant, and it shall be that whatever is pleasant in your eyes, they will put in their hands and take it. So he's basically saying, I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to ravage the land and take whatever I want. But, hey, if you still want to be my king, we'll see here, um, there are many, many kings underneath Ben-Hadad. I think, what's the number? We'll see it. It's something like 32 or something like that. um, Kings that are under him. And he just basically wants Ahab as one of his kings. But a condition of that, a condition of that is, he can go in and just pillage everything. So I know this is a real long time ago. But 250 years ago, the British soldiers, they came in. I love I the love, um, United Kingdom. I had a summer job there. I love everything about London. Boston's a little London. I love it. But what those guys used to do to us here before, <laughs> before we were made an independent country, uh, they used to come. The soldiers would uh, want your house to take over your house. They just came right in and took over it. That's why... I think it's right there in the Constitution. It's like no government can't do that. Government can't just come in and take over your house, but that's what they used to do. It's kind of like uh, 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 like that multiplied by a hundred. he's just saying i'm gonna come in, you can be you can stake my king Ahab, but basically i'm gonna take whatever I want from you, including people uh from you and and so uh Verse 7, so the king of Israel called all the elders of the land. So Ahab hears this, and he said, notice, please, see how this man seeks trouble. My children, my silver, my gold, and I did not deny him. And the elders of the um, Israel, people of Israel said, do not listen or consent. Meaning, don't do what this guy wants to do. Don't agree to be this um, lesser this king that just allows him to do whatever you want to do. In other words, you're going to go to war. Verse 9, Therefore he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, all that you sent for, uh, for to do your servant the first time, I will do. But this thing I cannot do. And he, and the messengers departed and brought back word to him. Then Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do, uh, t- uh, do so to me, and more also, if enough dust is left of Samaria for a handful, for each of the people who fall me. In other words, I'm going to go by, this is like tough talk, you know, guys beating their chest. I'm going to go and I'm going to basically flatten everything and all that's going to be is, is dust in the land. Uh, verse 11, so the king of Israel answered and said, tell him, let not the one who puts on his armor boast. Like the one who takes it off. So here all of a sudden pops out this guy. It's like, wow, this is Ahab. He <laughs> he 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 gets some guts here, and basically what he's saying is, wait a second, you should boast like after you defeat me. Don't be boasting before you defeat me, is is what he is saying. Verse 12, and it happened when Ben-Hadad heard that message. As he and all the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. Suddenly, a prophet approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, thus says the Lord, have you seen all this great multitude? Meaning, have you seen all the armies that are surrounding you that are just about to have you for lunch? Or they think they're going to. Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today and you shall know that i am the lord (sighs) have you ever heard that song grace grace god's grace grace is greater than all your sin who's heard that some of the old timers here matt you haven't heard that i can't believe it Brooklyn Tabernacle sings it, like, in between two songs. But uh, um, incredible. Like, why? Uh, Lord, why don't you smush this guy, Ahab? He he is, you know, he's actively, I think, at this time, they're still searching for Elijah. Well, Elijah's going to show up in the next chapter. Ahab still hates the guy's guts. We saw last Sunday morning Jesus at the transfiguration with... Who? Elijah and Moses. And Ahab's trying to kill the guy. Why is the Lord giving him grace here? Suddenly a prophet approaches. Why suddenly? Because they had been trying to kill all the prophets. So this prophet comes out of nowhere, and and the Lord says, I'm going to, this huge army that's coming against you, I'm going to deliver them into your hand, and you shall know that I am God. God. One thing I love about the Book of Ezekiel it says over and over again. I think it's something like forty times, or thirty, or something like that, and, and, where Ezekiel tells the uh, uh, children of Israel, "God's going to do this, and you, so you shall know that I am the Lord." And so God is still trying to get this guy. No, and, and so the principle for us, no matter how wicked some person is in your family, in that political party that that you know your heart has such a hard time with, at your work, in the newspapers, some rap artist, whatever, no matter how wicked they are, don't condemn them in your heart because. There's a good chance God has not. Witness right here with King Ahab. God is giving him mercy. Incredible, gracious God that we serve. So Ahab said, by whom? And he says, uh, and the prophet said, thus says the Lord by the young leaders of the province. Then he said, who shall, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you, meaning you are going to go out with this army. Verse 15, and again, to his credit, he musters the young leaders of the provinces and there were 232, meaning around Israel, the 10 tribes, there's 232 young leaders and and after them he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000, not a whole lot, not a very big army. They're greatly, greatly outnumbered. Verse 16, so they went out at noon. Meanwhile, Ben-Hadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. The young leaders of the provinces went out first, and Ben-Hadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. And so he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they come out for war, take them alive. So they're, they're, so they're all getting drunk here. And then here's just more boasting by Ben Haddad and all his leaders. And silly kind of boasting. If they come out for peace, take them alive. If they come out for war, take them alive. You know, I, I um, personally don't drink alcohol. And uh, that's not because I think there's some law in the Bible that um, commands Christians not to drink alcohol. I think the Bible teaches Christi- teaches moderation. I believe that's what Christians, I believe that's what Jesus practiced. I believe that um, that's the best thing for the body of Christ, moderation. However, Romans 14 says if someone is going to be so offended that you drink then don't drink so that's why i don't drink because some there's a lot of people who can't deal with a senior pastor who drinks and so i think most of our leadership uh, the elders um, don't drink and uh, um but the bible does say for for folks who who do drink romans 14 says you better be careful who you're drinking with if anyone has an issue With you drinking, either they have an alcohol problem, and they see you drink, it's going to make them go get drunk, or they're going to be so stumbled and upset that you drink, that it's just going to cause a a big war. Don't drink. (laughs) But but uh, so so that's the standard. But I remember, you know, for the first time uh, when I was um, a pastor, I also had a secular job. I worked for a, a large corporation, and I would go to these places where everyone's getting drunk, and And there was such a feeling of power when I went in there with no alcohol in me, in in a good way, in a very good way. I don't know if any of you have ever experienced this. I I was supposed to be, I was at a meeting that I was supposed to, required to be be at, but it's after hours, it was a conference or whatever that um, um, I was part of my requirement, and I was there, and everyone's like drinking, and they're, you know, they're a little out of control, And there's such a a place of power because you know that, you know, there's people making fools out of themselves everywhere. (laughs) And you're just there living for the Lord, and it's like, wow, people are seeing this. They're noticing it. They can notice someone who's really, um, you know, living out a, a, a righteous life. And again, I have no problem with a Christian who's in there. Th- that they're having uh, one drink. They're not going much over that. And, and, and they're, they, they, they are practicing moderation. I'm just making the principle that, it, and we see it from this tr- chapter, that drinking outside of moderation, um, you're going to be doing stupid, foolish things, saying dumb things, and possibly following falling into Fornication or getting uh, getting into a fight—it's just that's what alcohol uh, does to people when it's when when you just go when you cross that line, and um, and, and and living by the Bible, either e- either you know, it's moderation or understanding that it was you know for your life you're not drinking. There's such a it's such a place of safety in situations like this where you're going in and everyone's uh, making fools of themselves, saying stupid stuff, it's a safe place. And so here, here here, they're all drinking. So the enemy is drinking and putting themselves really in a lot of danger because they're going go, to be going out against the living God here. And verse 19 says, Then these young leaders of the provinces went out of the city, and the army which followed them, this is the Israelites, Verse 20, and each one killed his man, so the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. And Ben-Hadad, the king of uh, Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. Uh, When the king of Israel went out and and attacked the horses and chariots and killed the Syrians with a great slaughter, and the prophets uh, came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go, strengthen yourself, take note, and see Uh, What you should do, for in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come against you. Then the servants of the king of Syria said to them, uh, Their gods are the gods of the hills. Therefore, they were stronger than we. But if we fight against them in the plain, surely we'll be stronger than they. So do this thing. Dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places. And you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost horse for horse, Chariot for chariot, then we shall we will um, fight against them in the plain. Surely we'll be stronger than they. And he listened to their voice and did so. So the Israelites go; they are they defeat the Syrians. The Syrians go back, and they uh, and the 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 king uh, goes to the false gods and say, "Hey, what happened?" Uh, Rather, the king's uh, the the king of Syria goes to the false prophets. Uh, the prophets of Baals, the false gods, whoever it was that they um, worshipped, and got this goofy advice, well, you know, Jehovah, the Lord, the Israelites, their gods are the gods of the hills, therefore they were stronger than we. So apparently the previous battle had been in the hills, but this battle is in the plain, so we'll beat them, because this God doesn't, you know, he can't defeat someone who's in the plains. Uh, he can only defeat him in the hills. You know, I'm really, really uh, strengthened just by memorizing different psalms and and, and being in the... I'm, I've always been a psalms junkie. I love, I love Psalm 139. It says, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell... Behold, you are there. If I make the wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. It says, even there. No matter where you go. He's not the God of the hills. He's not the God of the plain. He's not the God of the mountains, of the oceans. He's the God of the universe. (laughs) And so, um, whereas at this time, they gods were localized by this time, Israel knew that this was the God of the heaven and, uh, and and the earth. Now, unfortunately, in the north, they had forsaken the Lord. God's being gracious to him here, but uh, how amazing and wonderful to have a God of the universe! It doesn't matter whether you're on a hill or an ocean. No matter where you are, you can call upon the name of the Lord, uh, and and um, He's He's with you. He. We're more than a conqueror um, because of him who loved us. But here, you know, this is a tragic verse, I think. I underlined it at the end of uh, verse 25. And he listened to their voice and he did so. Meaning this nonsense about Jehovah being a God of the hills and not a God of the plain. Oh, you know, that sounds right. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I get that. And so he listened to them and he did so. He's going to regret it, meaning he's going to muster an army and fight them in the plain, and he's going to get his tail whooped is what's going to happen. Verse 26, so it was in the spring of the year, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats while the Syrians filled the countryside. Man, we can't have enough of these stories like Gideon in the Bible where Gideon was, what, 150 and he was against 120,000 Midianites. We cannot, pause. it's like having communion. People ask, why do we have communion so often? And and a lot of churches, as you know, have communion more often than us, but it's commanded that we have it often. And the reason is because we so easily go back into a performance-related um, related relationship with God. Similarly, we need as many stories in the Bible of just a few people defeating many, many, many to remember you plus God, you win. It doesn't matter how many people you're against We can't because we so easily back into, oh, we need the same resources they do. We need, yeah. No, we don't. And so uh, 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 they're just like two little flocks of goats Verse 27 says, Uh, verse 28, then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel. So apparently this is a different man of God. This is a different prophet. It's just incredible. There's never going to be a good king in northern Israel, but God keeps on sending his uh, men of God, prophets, to, to try to get them to repent. And here's another one of them. He says in verse 38, thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said, the Lord is God of the hills, But he is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So again, I'm going to do this for you. And when I do it for you, you're going to know I'm the Lord, and you will never have an excuse on judgment day, (laughs) essentially, is what he's saying. You're never going to have an excuse on judgment Day because I acted clearly and decisively on your behalf, Ahab. And they encamped opposite. Just also, verse 28, you do see this in the Bible that um, the the Lord here is saying, because they think they have this wrong view of me that I'm a God of the hills, I'm just going to smush them. This is, this is the, the, the Lord defending his own honor here. Verse 29, and they camped opposite each other for seven days. So it was that on the seventh day the battle was joined and the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. So you don't need a Multitude. You and God are a majority, or you and a a little two sheep, uh, you know, flocks of goats is a majority. Verse 30, but the rest fled to Aphek, into the city. Then a wall fell on 22,000 of the men who were left. It's a miracle. So the enemy fled into some city, and then they thought they were safe, and a wall fell on them. 22,000 died Ben-hadad this is the wicked Syrian king fled and went into that city into an inner chamber verse 31 okay from here the rest of the chapter things get really interesting then his servant said to him look now we have heard that the king kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings you know i find that interesting that you know even though the kings of Israel it, it, it's possible that they're referring to the kings in the southern kingdom, Judah, as well as the northern kingdom. But it's interesting that it says, we've heard that they are merciful kings. They had this concept of mercy that they didn't see in other kings throughout the world. And and we know that when um, Moses, the second time, he really asked God what his name was, the first time God answered, I am who I am, the second time in verse thirty. Uh, to Exodus 34, verse 5, it says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the name that he proclaimed for himself to Moses was the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but by no means clear in the guilty. So God is a merciful God, and the and so word had gotten out, even amongst the enemies, that this is the God these kings follow. He's a merciful God. And so these guys went to the king. He's in hiding. He says, hey, you know, we've heard that um, the kings of Israel are merciful. Middle of verse 31, please let us put sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our head. Go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. Well, this is quite a scene. This is all the enemy generals and stuff. Verse th- uh, 32, they wore s- sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, your servant Ben-Hadad says, please let me live. They're begging for the king's life. And he said, this is Ahab, Ahab said, is he still alive? He is my brother. Not good. Not good. This is this is Ahab backsliding here. This is Ahab backsliding. And we'll see between now and the end of the chapter what I'm talking about there. Now the men who were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him, they quickly grasped that this word, and said, to, and said your brother Ben-Hadad. So he said, go bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he had come up into the chariot. This, is, by the way, is a man who had killed many Israelites, had tormented Israel, had, had been a nemesis to Israel. He was an enemy, he was a God-hater, and Ahab's inviting him up into the chariot, and this is like someone who just loves to sort of consort with, like, famous people, however wicked they may be. It's like, oh, now I'm one of them, you know, sort of thing. So Ben-Hadad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father I will restore, and you may set up a marketplace for yourselves in Damascus. That was his own capital, Damascus is the capital of Syria, you can come in, you Israelites can come in and set up your own marketplace, sell matzo balls and whatever else they wanted, as my father did in Samaria, so that's a reference to the fact that his father, Ben Ben Haddad's father, had been in Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom, he had come in and taken over and did whatever he wanted. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So Ahab agrees to the treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Okay, verse 35, buckle your seatbelts. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, strike me please. And the man refused to strike him. And then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left him, a lion found him and killed him. Oh, my. Verse 37. And he found another man and said, strike me, please. So the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king by the road and and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. So this guy uh, has this slash on his face or whatever. He puts bandages around himself, and he's waiting for the king to pass by. Now, as the king passed by, he, the prophet, cried out to the king and said, "'Your servant went out into the midst of the battle, "'and there a man came over and brought a man to me and said, "'Guard this man.'" If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life or else you shall pay a talent of silver. So he says to the king, this is like a story. This is a little bit like Nathan coming to David with a story. You remember that story. There was a rich man who had many sheep and he had a visitor, and, but he went and to the poor man who had one sheep and took it from It's the same kind of thing that he is doing with Ahab here. And the story that he's, he's telling him is essentially, I was in battle and I was supposed to take care of a prisoner. An officer came to me or whatever, gave me a prisoner and said, guard this man and if you miss him, you're going to have to die yourself or else you'll pay a talent of silver, which is 75 pounds verse 40 while your servant was busy here and there he was gone M- meaning this prisoner that i was supposed to guard escaped remember this is kind of like a parable it didn't really happen then the king of israel said so shall your judgment be you yourself have decided it so the king said just like david said kill that man who stole st- uh, to nathan he said kill that man who stole the sheep from Uh, The the poor man who had just just one sheep. The same exact thing or similar thing here. So you're going to have to die. You're going to have to pay 75 talents of silver, which undoubtedly didn't have, which means he was going to have to die. Verse 41, and he hastened, meaning the prophet hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes. And the king of Israel recognized him as one of the Prophets, And then he, the prophet, said to Ahab, Thus says the Lord, because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his life and your people shall uh, for his people. So the king of Israel went to the house sullen and displeased, and he came to Samaria. Okay, so let's talk about this um <laughs> this this uh crazy story here where I, d- I think there's a lot to learn stephanie, can you bring me my my phone it's eight uh, oh it's eight o'clock oh wow they fixed. it looks like they fixed that I- exactly what time is it oh wow oh I like that okay it's eight o four so let's go over let's go over the story first thing to learn from this story is um When you have a kind, some kind of victory in your life, a spiritual victory, or maybe it's a victory, you know, the Lord's answered a prayer and just showered you with blessing, you better stay close to the Lord. Because this is what we're prone to do. Like Ahab, stupid stuff. You know? It's like, getting asking Ben Haddad to be up in his chariot oh wow look at who i'm it's it's like asking a, a a famous rapper who everyone knows about who 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 writes lyrics just about killing people having sex and doing drugs just inviting them into your house to say, hey look who's with me it's essentially what happened here what happened is his his humility, which had been evident earlier in the chapter when he was about to get killed by a gigantic army, vanished. And now he thinks he's someone apart from the Lord. And you know, when I, in my prayer journal, I think I've shared this probably in the last couple months, but in the, my prayer journal, I have this um, wonderful, wonderful passage from Daniel where Nebuchadnezzar, who's the most powerful king in the world, he's... Um, he's in his palace and he's looking over ba- Babylon. He's saying, uh, t- he says to himself, have I not built, was it not by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty that all Babylon um, uh, has been raised up? And it says, while the wor- word was still on the king's mouth. A voice from heaven said, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from you. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen. seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men. And he gives it to whomever he pleases. And that very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men and ate grass like oxen for seven years until he finally got to the place. He he, he was given, uh, got to the place somehow out there that God could have chosen anyone to do what I have done. And then he was raised back to power. It's just so important when you have a great Victory, that that um, that that is um, that you you remember that God could have chosen anyone to do this, but by His grace, I deserve hell. But by His grace, He's blessed me here. Now, the second thing is here is critics of the Bi- b- Bible uh, will come and say, "Look at what a crazy, crazy um, God this is that you serve." That. Some prophet comes up to a man and says, strike me. The man doesn't because he has compassion on him. This is important. Because the man had compassion on the prophet. said, no, I don't want to do that to you. The prophet says, because you didn't do that to me, a lion's going to come by and kill you. Now, I, I mean, I get it. Believe me, I get it. That that is... To our modern enlightened minds, I say that in quotes with some sarcasm, that looks really, really bad. But when you have a country that is in complete apostasy, um, that is uh, departed from the Lord, it's Killing babies is sacrifice to pagan gods. It is engaged in ritualized prostitution and temple. The, 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 the country is imploding spiritually. It's actually a good thing for there to be really hardcore demonstrations. You need to listen to the Lord. You need to listen to the word of, the, uh, of God, and I don't know if this gets your attention. It sure certainly gets mine. And 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 so, by the way, almost all scholars believe that when the prophet went to his neighbor, his neighbor was in the school of the prophets. They, there was, and we'll see this also in I, I think in the next chapter. There's these things called the school of the prophets, and so he said to his neighbor, meaning another prophet, um, and the prophet ref- refused, and, and so a lion found him and killed him. So he says to another man, strike me, please, and so that guy was like, I don't, I saw what just happened to this other guy, and he strikes him, very strange thing, and then the prophet bandages himself, waits for, um, waits for Ahab to, to come, and when Ahab sees him, he tells him this kind of parable-like thing. He goes, I was told by a, a commanding officer to guard a man, and he get let go, and, and the penalty is basically is my life. And Ahab says, okay, you got to die. Says, There's no way he had 75 talents of silver. And then he takes off the bandage. Ahab realizes, oh, this is a prophet coming against me. The prophet says the same thing is going to uh, happen uh, to you, and so uh I think there is a tremendous lesson here for us, and it's a very hard lesson uh, and it's that sometimes love has to be tough there's there's a um there's a verse in Philippians chapter one verse 9, and would that you would pray this for you and me, yourselves and me and everyone else at Calvary Chapel all the times. Philippians 1, 9, Paul prays for the Philippian church, I pray that your love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment. So follow me now. I, I, I'm, I'm going to get around to this. Love oftentimes, too oftentimes, is there, there's there's no discernment in the body of Christ with love. There's a lack of discernment with love. Uh, let me just give you, um, let's just let me give you an example. I mean, uh, so, uh, uh, this is the, here's one that I deal with a lot. A child is in rebellion. A teenager's, uh, or, or, or someone in late teens is out, off just, Living the life as a hellion, they get arrested, bailed out by dad. Their Christian dad. Well, I'm I'm merciful. I got to be merciful. Aren't Christians supposed to be merciful? Kid goes out to do it, do it, does again, bails him out again. Gets goes to prison again, bails him out, goes to prison. (laughs) And by the way, people come to me with this, and the first thing I say is, "Don't bail them out anymore. What you're doing is not loving." Same thing in ministry. From time to time, someone will, you know, some guy, is, someone's teaching the word of God at our church and they fall into pornography. They got to step down from ministry. I can't have someone in pornography and then, and, and then out teaching the word of God. It's not, because, it, it, it's not because I don't like them. It's because I do like them. Listen, you got to back off and back out of ministry, this particular ministry, and you just got to worship the Lord. And you get to see because you're loving something more than Jesus, and you're putting the whole, the whole church at risk. And by the way, if that's you, please, please just come forward. That's, that's my history as a new believer was was pornography. I totally get the shame and 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 this kind of thing. But but we can't have that kind of leaven. In the body of Christ, but yet I get criticized for it, you know, when someone steps down, oh, can he be merciful? This kind of thing. What did it why did? why was this particular thing done with Ahab? To show Ahab you thought you were being merciful, because Exodus 34, 6 and 7 does say God is a merciful God. And as a general rule, we're merciful people. But letting ben at go was a lack of discernment. Philippians 1, verse 9. I pray that your love abounds more and more in knowledge and discernment. Don't be calling mercy and love something which is just enabling other people to sin or something that's putting the whole church in danger or something that is putting at, at, at risk the body of Christ. Here, here he's putting at risk the nation of Israel by letting this man live. And so that's the reason um, for this, this 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 story here, this crazy, crazy story. Number one, the word of God is serious, and we need to have a fear of God, a healthy fear of God. Number two, yes, God is merciful. But let's be merciful with discernment and with love. So, so important. I'm going to close there. The, the next chapter, Naboth, is going to require way more time than we have uh, wi- wi- in the remaining time. where um, Naboth has a great vineyard right next to Ahab's palace. Ahab likes it. Naboth says, no, I can't give it to you. It's against the law of Moses. Jezebel finds out, has him killed, and God is very displeased. We learn a lot about the character of the Lord in the next chapter, as we do in every chapter. But why don't we go uh, to a time of prayer. Uh, Jillian, can do you mind doing an instrumental just on the, uh, um, on the keyboard while we pray here? So what I would like to pray, this, this thing about love, Actually, if you can break up into little groups of four and five, and open your Bible to first um, to Philippians one nine, and just pray that prayer for yourself and our church. There is a problem in the body of Christ today with, I, I, I call it um, churches or leadership, which degrade the love of God into granddaddy love. What is granddaddy love? Granddaddy love is, you know, how granddaddies are. I'm, I'm, Well, maybe you don't, but I have a little experience now. You look at your grandkids and they're doing real naughty things and you just kind of smile and do nothing because it's not my business to be disciplining my uh, grandchildren. <laughs> and that's the view that people have of the love of God in many churches now. You can't be too, you know, don't be too too tough on sin and that kind of stuff. That's just not really, you know. And uh, unfortunately, that's why so many churches are weak because of this distorted view of God. Let Let your love abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. There's a couple other things in that prayer. It's a great prayer. Find prayers in the Bible. And pray them for yourself. Pray pray them for me, please. And the and the leadership of our church and and our church in general. Philippians one nine. So, um, uh, Jillian, if you could uh, just play an instrumental force, we can uh, get into groups of of three, four, and five, and just open it up to Philippians one and, and pray it or anything else that um, it stirs your heart. Let me just close in prayer and then. And gather into prayer groups. Father, we just thank you um, for the word of God. We thank you for uh, what we've read tonight. We ask for help, Lord, to stay in a place of humility. There may be someone in here who's experiencing a victory. And oh, how we love those victories, Lord, spiritually, but also just like uh, blessing victories where you just bless us tremendously. Just pray, Lord, that we would understand that you could have chosen anybody in the world to be experiencing the same kind of victory or blessing and 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 that we would not make this mistake that Ahab had made and that we have made so many times before that developing just a carnal confidence in who we are. Father, keep us humble. And Lord, and I also just pray that you would guide us, lead us, and bless us in this time of prayer. In Jesus' name.